as I was sat enjoying the view out of the Costa window earlier this week, it was only a Valdi car park, but still, it wasn't my office or another office, so that was nice. It was somewhere different. And I was uh, journaling uh, all my frustrations, actually, which ended up being quite a long list. Um, I recalled how I ended our time together last week. If you remember, right at the end of last week, I, I ended up saying, well done. And I felt just a prompt to say, well done, for, for where we're at and where we've got to. And as I pondered that, I started writing what I, I felt like was a word for us right now, a, a word of encouragement and hope, and perhaps to make sense of some things. And I've called it preparation days, because I sense that what God's been wanting to do over this last year and a bit um, is about preparation. And I sensed that I wanted to try and help you see what God's been wanting to do if we enrolled in the preparation class. Um, And also see what might be coming as a result of the preparation. Um, I wondered what happened after preparation day and I I, I realized as I studied and looked there were were perhaps three things that I realized I was already starting to experience in some measure but I felt like it was actually something for all of us to experience in some measure. So I want want to share with you some of that. Um, I believe there's a class, God has opened a class. He did open a class. Um, But you had to choose to enroll. Um, But the good news is the class is still open. And lessons are still available. Um, So I'm just going to read this first bit as it came to me. It came in the form of like a letter. But it was addressed to multiple, you know, like you write to so somebody at the beginning of a letter, but it was like to, 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 to all these different groups. So I'm just going to read them slowly. I think that's gone there on the screen. To my faithful ones, to those who have put others first, to those who have put aside their own desires, to those who have sat at the foot of the table, to those who have adhered to a lifestyle they did not agree with nor thought necessary, to those who have reached out when fear was all around, to those who remained silent when they wanted to scream, and to those who screamed when they wanted to be silent, to those who hid when they wanted to be seen, and to those who showed themselves when they wanted to be hidden, to those who submitted their own desires and opinions to care for others, to those who joined together in ways that were less than the best, to those who have persevered. Let me just read it again. To my faithful ones, to those who have put others first, to those who have put aside their own desires, to those who have sat at the foot of the table, to those who have adhered to a lifestyle they did not agree with nor thought necessary, to those who have reached out when fear was all around to those who remained silent when they wanted to scream to those who have screamed when they wanted to be silent to those who hid when they wanted to be seen and to those who showed themselves when they wanted to be hidden to those who submitted their own desires and opinions to care for others to those who joined together in ways that were less than the best and to those who have persevered we're going to jump on a couple. Jesus has seen it all. Jesus has seen it all. 
He has seen every time you have done something or not done something for the sake of another. Whatever that might be, whether you have restrained yourself for another or pushed yourself beyond your comfort zone for another, Jesus has seen it. Every time you stood up for somebody, Jesus has seen it. Every time you defended somebody, Jesus has seen it. Every time you put your life at risk of ridicule, Jesus has seen it. Every time you put yourself out and others criticized you for somebody else, Jesus has seen it. He has seen it. Every time you put yourself on the line for somebody else, he has seen it. It has not gone unnoticed. And it has not gone unseen. It is recorded in the annals of heaven. Every incident, every moment has been like a stone on a monument you have built before him, whether you knew it or not. You see, you might remember there's a, there's a story in the Bible of a man called Cornelius. And this is, he's a Roman soldier. And uh, an angel appears and says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. And it's this idea that Cornelius because of the way he lives, even though he didn't even really know Jesus. But he lived in such a way that, that was the Jesus way. He lived in a way that was self-giving, that was self-sacrificing, that was, that was thoughtful, that was selfless. He lived in that way, and he built this thing in heaven, apparently, that heaven could see. He built a memorial in heaven. And the angel said, it's, it's been seen. I want you to know that you all already have a memorial in heaven. And every way that you acted in ways that were selfless, everywhere you looked after others, everywhere you cared for others, everywhere you supported others, it built something. Whether you knew you were doing it for Jesus or not, it built something. And it's seen. Cornelius' actions and way of life must have cost him something. For starters, this angel appears and he calls it Lord. Well, this is a Roman soldier who only has one Lord, and that's Caesar. To call anybody else Lord is high treason against the state. This man goes, no, you're Lord. He's already fast on the way of being on a cross himself, this soldier. But you see, his actions and way of life have cost him something, and yet that cost is not forgotten. I want to tell you, every way of life that's cost you something, especially over this last year and a bit, it is not for nothing, and it's not been forgotten, and it's been seen. It's been recorded. Every act that was honoring to Jesus, every act that brought life, and particularly every act that brought life that cost you something was a stone that's built a memorial. Therefore, do not despair. Do not lose hope. Do not give up. Do not stop thinking about the other. For this time has been an intense training time on loving as Jesus loves. If you have been willing to enroll. It's been a master class. This is what I've realized this last year and a bit. It's been a master class or the opportunity to engage in a masterclass in putting other people first. It's been an opportunity to have a lesson in humility and self-sacrifice. It's been an opportunity, a teaching on when to be silent and when to speak, an instruction on listening to Jesus, a test on seeking and growing in wisdom, and an opportunity to find and extend grace. There's never been a moment like it, I don't think, in our history, in our lifetime, when there's been such a moment to learn those things. It's been a preparation for this new era that he's ushering in. And if you enrolled in the class and you've learned some of those things, you are in a great place because you are ready to enter in at what's next. 
And so I am not questioning this time, nor Jesus' ability to make use of it. In fact, I've learned to say thank you for it. I've learned to say thank you for it because I've realized I got put in some unique situations that allowed me to learn some unique things I would never have learned without it. All things that set me up for an incredible future. You see, I've understood that certain qualities are key to enjoying the fullness of this new era that I believe Jesus is taking us into. They are keys to walking through doors that will open up whole new levels of life as we move forward. There's five of them. Selflessness, humility, hearing his voice, wisdom and grace. And if you've been able to grow in any of those things, you've done well. And here's, here's why. What, what a time to learn these things. As I say, I'm not sure there's been a time in my lifetime when there's been such an opportunity to learn these things, if we were willing to learn them. Selflessness. We've all had to think about those around us and what that means and how we operate, like never before. We've had to weigh up what it means to look after people. And perhaps the, the price we'll pay or not to look after people as we saw fit, dependent upon everybody else. Humility. Wow. I mean, when, 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 when opinions shout so loud as, as never before, and so divisively as never before, what a time to learn to be humble. What an opportunity to stand out by deciding that you'll know what you know, but you won't use it as a hand grenade against somebody else. You'll not use what you know as a weapon. You'll, you'll know what you know and you'll believe what you'll believe, but you'll love those who, who think differently. Hearing his voice. When the voices of others are so loud and there's all sorts going on, it's been a great time to learn to listen to his voice. To choose how much time we spend reading or listening to all the other voices and how much time we spend listening for his voice and becoming more aware of it. You see, it's fascinating. You, you look through history. Very rarely through history is the voice of those in power match the voice of God. Just read history. Read biblical history and see how little those in power match the voice of God. Most of the kings in Israel's time did not speak what God said. Most of the time, power does not speak what God speaks. Most of the time, it doesn't. Which is why the Bible is full of prophets calling people back to God. Because listen, if, if the voice of those in power matched the heart of God, they would also match the character of God. Because you can't speak the heart of God if you don't have the character of God. And if it matched the character of God, it would be full of selflessness, humility, wisdom, and grace. Not to mention repentance and justice and mercy. Well, I've seen very little of those things. I've seen very little justice or humility. I don't think I've seen any repentance. Even from those who have been found to have got it very wrong and proven to get it wrong. I have not seen much repentance. I see very little kingdom wisdom and I see very little faith. And when I see that, I have to ask some questions and decide what I'm going to listen to. And I have to work that out. Of course, that needs wisdom. That needs wisdom. But wisdom does cry out at the crossroads. And of course, we found ourselves at many crossroads this last 18 months, making decisions and choices we never expected to make. Well, what a brilliant opportunity to find wisdom. Because every new moment that you've never been in before requires you find an answer. So, so therefore, new moments are fantastic because you have to find the wisdom in it. If you've never been in a new moment, you don't need new wisdom because you know what to do if you found wisdom before. So new wisdom is fantastic. New moments are fantastic. And of course, the fascinating thing is that every decision, every choice is an opportunity to seek the wisdom that cries out. 
So it's been an incredible time to seek more wisdom. But, but of course, more than that, wisdom is not just something you seek and find and use and then discard. Wisdom is something that's built in you. So the more they seek it, the more you grow in it, and the more regularly you're moving it without even thinking about it. Grace. Wow, what a wonderful time to learn grace. Eh? Wonderful time to learn grace. The more decisive a place gets, a community, a nation, the more the opportunity to learn grace. This has been a lesson. I've realized it's a lesson, a preparation day. A time to learn to not react like the world, to not join in with the mudslugging. A time to learn to know what you know, but love those who see the world differently. A time to agree to disagree. What a time to learn, what a time to prepare, what a time to be transformed. I've realized we've probably lived through the greatest opportunity to be transformed of our generations. We've lived through the greatest opportunity to be transformed of our generations. And I'm thankful for it. Because I know that unless I live through a place that causes me to do something, I generally don't do it. I need some outside pressure, some external pressure sometimes to be transformed, to cause me to think, to cause me to act. So whatever I think about it, I'm grateful for it. Because I know I'm transformed because of it. I've had to think about some things I've never thought about before. Seek wisdom on things I've never thought about. Being challenged on things I've never thought about before. Decided who's, who, who's, whose approval am I going to look for right now? Whose applause am I going to seek right now? But of course, the time of preparation looks forward to something. Numbers 11, the first thing I believe it look at the first thing I believe is greater provision. Greater provision. Numbers in chapter 11. Tell the people, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. Up to this point, the Israelites had been eating manna, which was like a, a special bread that God had prepared for them. But after a while of eating bread three times a day, seven days a week, they got a little bit fed up of it and started mourning. Um, which Moses gets all upset him for. But the point is not really that. The point is that God goes, okay, I, I hear you. I'm going to give you something better. Now you're going to eat meat. Unless you're a veggie, I suppose. But there you go. Um, but, but there's this sense. The Israelites have got fed up of it. But God's going, no, I want, I want more. There's more provision. I'm not, I'm not, sometimes when we talk about provision, we think about money. But provision is much more than that. It is that, but it's much, much more than that. But Moses' reaction to this is really interesting because I'm talking about provision for all you need for all that God's called you to do. And Moses' response is really interesting in, in, in verse 21 at 23. He says, Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I'll give them meat to eat for a whole month. Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught, which would be challenging in the desert? The Lord answered Moses, Is the Lord's arm too short? Now you will see whether or not what I say will come true for you. In other words, am I a God with short arms and deep pockets? Or am I a God with long arms and short, short pockets? Yeah, that's right. What am I like? What am I like? Because Moses is going, well, how the chuff's that going to work? We've got all these animals but every day. For it, they're not going to last that long. And we're in the desert, so we can't go fishing. But of course... The, the challenge is, is that it's not going to happen how Moses thinks it's going to happen. 
And of course, this thing about is the Lord's arm too short, that, that's probably your question. Well, how's it going to work? Well it, well, it works A in faith, because if you keep reading the story, you see that Moses goes, what's that all about? And how the exit is going to happen? The next verse says, he goes off and says, hey, we're going to eat meat tomorrow. Probably thinking, I have no chuffing idea around, but it's going to happen somehow. It says he proclaims it, and sure enough, we read a wind went out from the Lord and drove quail in from the sea. And then they can't move for quail. Literally, it's like this deep in birds everywhere. Then they got fed up with that. But anyways, but, but listen, the wind of God, the spirit of God blew and provision was given for the Israelites that was greater than that they had previously seen. And I believe that is on its way for us in whole new ways. And I believe one way specifically in line is this. I, I, I talked about new connections and how they might come about in these new sense of relationships. And we've not got to be looking with God's eyes. You see, Moses was going, okay, we've got all these flocks, and we, 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 but yeah, maybe we can go fishing somehow. So if I kill them all, maybe that's how it's going to happen. And God went, no, it's going to happen, but not like that. I'm going to make it happen, but not like that. And I'm convinced there are new connections and collaborations and relationships both within this house and outside this house. But we might have to, uh, this is a bit of a strange analogy, but go fishing. Hear me out here, okay? You don't catch any fish if you don't put your rod over the side of the boat. So if there's going to be some new connections and some new relationships and some deepening, you might have to go fishing. You might have to go, shall we go for a coffee? That's how you go fishing. You might have to say, shall we go for a walk? You might have to invite somebody around for a meal. You might have to go and talk to somebody you've not talked to before. That's how you go fishing. And then, you were, and then as you talk, they may well, you may go, okay, that was a nice conversation, and that's it. Or you may realize that God's already done something before you got there, and you're just going to find out what he's already done. But you'll have to go fishing for it. You're not going to get a word that says, go and have a coffee with John Smith, which won't be helpful because you go, which John Smith? But you understand me, it's not going to, it's not going to come like that. You're going to have to want it. You're going to have to, no, I, I, if, if you've got something for me, God, I'm going to have to want it. That means you step out. And listen, I'm an introvert saying this. I'd rather sit in the coffee shop with my book, okay? I know it's not easy. Some of you, you love it. You'll talk to everybody. Others of us, we have to like step out a little bit, okay? But hey, if you want something good, you've got to go get it, don't you? You've got to go get it. But I believe it's that, and, and it, you know, all right, you might have a few coffees and go, well, that were nice. And then suddenly, you might just have some. I did it this week. I felt, I felt like I should just text somebody. Not, not, not even in the city. And then they came back and went, oh, my wife just said she was praying for it recently and would love to connect. Okay, there you go. But what did I do? I had to reach out. I had to just send a, send a message and go, hey, we met about a year ago. I wonder if we could get a coffee together. And that'll involve me driving somewhere to go see somebody. But hey. And who knows, I might just have a nice conversation. It might be the start of something. I have no idea, but I'm going to go fishing. Because I know there's some new things out there. And there's some new things out there for you. Because one of the easiest ways to do that is just come and be together. By the way, this Wednesday night, we're going to have cafe life groups. Because if I set up a cafe, we can all sit together in tables of six and drink tea and coffee and not wear a mask, so we're going to have a cafe, all right? I'm just fed up with the ridiculousness. And I don't mind that that's online. So we're going to have a cafe together, and I'm going to share a few things, and then we can enjoy being together. Not told you that yet, Margaret, but that's what we're going to do. Um, <laughs> um, so, you know, 
sit next to somebody and go, I've not talked to you in ages, like, go fishing. The next thing, the removal of devoted things, Joshua 7.13. Consecrate the people, tell them, consecrate yourselves in preparation for tomorrow, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. There are devoted things among you, Israel. You cannot stand against your enemies until you remove them. First of all, there's this idea of consecration necessary as part of the preparation. And really, that's, that's what this class has all been about, a chance to set yourself apart. It means set apart. A chance to grow in kingdom character and kingdom values. Yet even after all that consecration, it may be there are still some devoted things among you, and, and devoted in a negative way, that cannot stand until you remove them. Which might sound a little weary and frustrating, but here's the key. Since you've learned a greater measure of selflessness, humility, hearing his voice, wisdom and grace, then removing anything that's not devoted to Jesus is a whole lot easier than it was. You see, if we're really going to see the fullness of what God's got for us, there can only be one thing we are devoted to, which must be Jesus and his kingdom, which means every other thing we are devoted to must become less devoted. We go back to Easter and the throne and all the things that are on the throne despite saying Jesus is king. If we're serious about moving in new ways and seeing things we've not seen before in our own hearts and people's hearts and lives in our community, then we must become more single-minded than ever before, more focused, more determined, more devoted to Jesus at the expense of everything else. If he really is king, then nothing else can be king, not even for a day. And of course, it, this, is, this is Old Testament. So when you read, when you read the, the kind of Old Testament part of the Bible, it talks about enemies. It's about people groups and fighting and all that sort of stuff because it's all external. But, but as you move into the New Testament, you find Jesus talking about uh, loving your enemies. Uh, and your enemies now, whenever you read it in the Old Testament, it's those things that set themselves up against you living life. So your enemies are, are fear and rejection and insecurity, anxiety and pride and anger and guilt and shame and lust. They're your enemies because they're the things that stop you living life and enjoying life. They're the things that stop you in the life that God's got for you. The third and final thing is this, entry in arrest. Entry in arrest, Luke 23 and verse 55. It was preparation day and the Sabbath was about to begin. I believe all of this preparation is anticipation of us moving into a whole new realm of rest. But I want to explain what rest is really, really briefly. The Sabbath was very special for Israel. And it's part of one of the Ten Commandments. And I find it fascinating that most of us would go, yeah, the Ten Commandments, they're really good, but the Sabbath one we completely ignore. We think it's good to not kill people and sleep with somebody's spouse, and we, we're all good for the no idols thing, but the Sabbath thing, now nah, we're just going to produce and consume seven days a week. That's why most of us are struggling some of the ways we do. Some of that's because we have a terrible understanding of what it means to honor the Sabbath day and an even more terrible understanding of what it means to actually rest. Because when we talk about resting, we just produce and consume some more. But, but Sabbath is about resting from production and consumption. Sabbath is about enjoying creation, not producing more or consuming more. And as I've explored this year personally what Sabbath means and what it might look like for me, I quickly came to the conclusion that I was an addict. I was an addict to production, an addict to producing something. I quickly realized that I was addicted to making sure I had a productive day, a fruitful day. 
addicted to making sure I could look and see and enjoy the work of my hands, which of course is the exact opposite of Sabbath rest. So we take a day off and we go, right, I'm going to get the grass cut, I'm going to get the cupboards cleaned out, I'm going to do the shopping, and then I'm going to sit down. Okay, what do you do? You just worked all day. You just produced all day. Or you consumed all day. And I'm going to talk about it Mars. We go into the year, but, but real biblical rest is about enjoying creation, enjoying friendships, enjoying one another. Most of us on our day off work as hard as we do at our work, if we take a day off. Sabbath rest is about celebration, about coming out of and away from the tyranny of being a producer and a consumer and living as one who rests in the enjoyment of creation. Sabbath rest is about resting in who you are and why you are here and being totally at peace with who God made you to be. It's great, isn't it? (laughs) We'll get there. Sabbath rest is about escaping the ideals of Egypt, of consumption and production, escaping the pull of that. But I believe, and we're going to, I'm going to expand this out a lot more in the coming weeks and months, but I believe there's an entering a rest for those who have done the preparation days. There's an entering a deeper rest in who we are and what we are here for. There's a gradual reduction coming in the striving and the getting and the forcing and the grabbing that consume most of our lives one way or another. There is a rest from your labors because you will start to see at an even greater depth that your labor is not laborsome nor wearisome because you are operating more and more out of and in the grace that God has placed in your life. So, to recap... It's all seen. All of it. Every moment. Every moment that you thought about somebody else. Every moment you gave up for somebody else. Every moment that you thought wasn't seen. Every one of those frustrations because nobody gave you a clap or said thank you or even acknowledged it. It's all seen. And it's all recorded in heaven. Every one of you. I believe every, every person. There's a lot of monuments in heaven. But anyways, I believe every person it's recorded somewhere and that heaven looks on it. And of course, the easiest way to do more of that is to do it with the one who lives that. The easiest way to live that life is to do it with the one who is that on the inside of you and be able to do it that way. Otherwise, it gets a bit draining and a bit tiring and we kind of just operate on our own fuel And we run out of our own fuel. I don't have enough in me to live thinking of everybody else and looking out for them and blessing them without his love in me and without his grace working in me. Even with his grace working in me, I I, I don't always manage it. But I definitely couldn't manage it without it. But listen, this whole time, it's all been seen. I want you to know it's all been seen. And that that there has been available a masterclass, a lesson, a teaching, an instruction, a test, an opportunity to learn selflessness, humility, hearing his voice, wisdom and grace. And those five things are all keys for moving into what God's got. So if you've learned any of them, you can just give yourself a little pat on the back and say well done knowing that it's all seen you're not going to stop learning no cars 
You're not going to stop. Because every, every door of something greater in the kingdom gets smaller. Which means you've got to bow lower. Until eventually you just crawl on your belly. But that's okay. Because if you're learning, it's going to be good. So listen, I, I want you, and I know there's still some things we've got to talk about and do, but in fact, we could take communion now, couldn't we? Let's do that. Can somebody just um, distribute that? Thanks, Leon. This is for everybody, by the way. Um, so everybody is absolutely free to partake. It's an open table for all. Thank you. I always forget to grab some. And th- this is just a... It's just a way to remind us of the goodness of God. That's what it is. It's a way to remind us. It's also nice when you've had your mask on for an hour to take it off to have a bit of light to eat and something to drink. There's that bonus as well. Beautiful. Okay, let's just um, let's just take this moment to reflect of how it's all seen. Okay, he's seen it all. Not only has he seen all the ways you've served everybody else, he's also seen your tears. He's seen your pain. He's seen the times you didn't manage to get it right, the times you didn't manage to act as you wanted to act the times you didn't manage to move in grace and he still thinks you are beautiful and loves you the same. So you can eat and drink knowing that he's seen it all and he thinks you're beautiful and he loves you. Let's just pray. Father, I want to thank you that you see it all. But I want to thank you that you only record the stuff that's beautiful. That there is a monument in heaven of all the ways in which we are acting that you go, yeah, that's fantastic. That's loving and caring and kind and good and beautiful. There's a monument to that, but there isn't a corresponding monument for the ways we get it wrong. There isn't a record in heaven of all the ways we got it wrong because those things are forgiven. They are not seen anymore. You do not remember them according to your word. And so, Lord, I want to thank you that you see all the good and choose not to remember that that's not so good. 
and you love us, no matter how big we think our monument of good might be, or if we were building the monument of the bad, no matter how big we think it might be, doesn't really matter because you don't see it. We want to thank you that you don't see it when we get it wrong, but we want to thank you that you do when we get it right, and we bless you for that. And I pray, Father, right now, that anybody who's struggling for that to compute in their mind, Lord, you would just touch them via your Holy Spirit that they have a new sense and revelation of how you see them and how you look upon them and how you love them, that they might see in a new way your Lord care for them. In Jesus' name, amen.